this pandemic uh, that we find, or I find myself in the midst of, uh, has had an interesting effect on my introvertedness. Uh, and that is that uh, not only do I want to see people and interact with them, um, I don't need as much of a buffer or a decompression chamber, otherwise known as my truck, uh, to help me find my equilibrium before I get home. And yet, I will tell you, even today, I, I spent almost the entire day, whether it's in meetings or uh, meeting with people on Zoom or whatever that might be, is that I, uh, we went for a walk later this or this afternoon and uh, kind of decompressed and debriefed our days uh, between my wife and I and my daughter. And, and uh, we, I, I looked at him and said, you know what? I need to take a drive uh, because it seemed like that uh, environment allowed me to get back into this equilibrium place. And uh, it helped me to get my head squared back into place. And not that it was offset, but and it depends on who you talk to as to about that opinion. But um, anyway, uh, thank you for joining us. This is uh, Love You Later by podcast, the Psych Monologues. I'm Dr. Ray Mitch, your host and commentator. Uh, and uh, I, what I have been doing in this uh, podcast is uh, reflecting on life as we know it in the light of uh, probably the most basic of human experiences, and that is loss and our response to it. Uh, general, the one thing I would uh, say is that everybody experiences grief, but not everybody shows it, and usually the, the public expression of grief is something we refer to as mourning. And so you see a variety of responses to the losses people experience, whether that's putting a nice bow on it and saying everything will, be, will turn out just fine, or looking toward the horizon for when it'll all be over, or whatever that might be, and, uh, or the person who finds themselves um, spiraling downward into a place where they can't seem to make sense of much of anything. And that's all of those things are very much a response, I think, to um, things that are out of our control that we feel relatively helpless about. And our responses to that situation is unique to each of us. And yet there's a lot about it that's common to all of us. And so um, I wanted to take some time in this uh, uh, final podcast of the week uh, to reflect a little bit on, or at least continue, maybe I should say continue on something that I finished with um, last night or yesterday, uh, because I was talking a little bit about the idea of what grief reveals in us. Uh, or reveals about us. And um, the more I thought about it and the more I, I actually um, uh, talked to various people, heard their interactions and so forth, one of the things that is unique, I think, about what loss does is that it forces upon us things that we can do nothing about. 
And how we respond says something really about our view of the world around us, whether that's, as I said last night, our, our relationship with God or whether that's our relationship with other people uh, or anything else. And, and uh, off and on, at least in the class that I'm teaching right now on grief and loss, we talk a lot about attachment and the minute I'm separated from somebody else uh, that is important to me, either I can figure out a way to maintain their image in my mind and stay, stay the connection that I have with them, or I become overwrought with worry and anxiety about because I can't see them and because I can't sense them in my environment, then they are really gone. And I'm going to lose my relationship with them all altogether. And I, I think here we are at day, um, I think it's 32, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 14, 18, yeah, 32 in uh, the, the lockdown. And, and uh, what I f- found myself doing as I was getting ready for uh, doing this uh, podcast was, uh, I was going to say something like, welcome to Friday, but I'm not real sure if it is Friday or not. Uh, one day bleeds into the other. The only thing that separates them is sleeping. Uh, and of course, that's a period of time that we're unconscious of. And so it seems like one goes into the other and you're not real sure what day it is and everything that comes along with that. And the interesting thing that goes along with that is really the nature of, of how we uh, view this thing that we call the pandemic and all that we're experiencing. So one of the things I wanted to spend a little time talking about tonight was really uh, what it brings out of us. Because having something happen to us, I mean, it's one thing to have something happen to us that we can pin the blame on, uh, like a person. Uh, when our world is turned upside down by somebody intruding on that, whether it's a robbery or uh, somebody dying or uh, something happening, an accident on the highway or whatever that might be, we can point our finger at that's exactly what happens and that's, that's what, I have impa- what has impacted me. And I can point to that one thing and say, that's what made the biggest difference. Now we're in this uh, period of time where it's a pandemic and it's a virus for crying out loud. It's, it's nameless, faceless. It just afflicts people in what at least appears a fairly random way. You know, and our minds just go completely bananas with what could be and the remarkable thing about how we think and, and all of that in terms of how we're designed is that we have the capacity to, to project ourselves into the future, create something that exists there in the future, and then react to it as if it's already here. And so what this tends to bring out in us is three different things that I want to spend just a little time talking about. And the first of those is how do we go about um, containing the discomfort, you might even say pain, around the helplessness we feel or 
the people that have been impacted. Uh, I, I, I sit and I, I have a group of guys that I talk to each every Thursday evening. And one of the guys mentioned that he was kind of waiting to see how the circle was going to close in on him and how close it would come to somebody that he knows was impacted by the coronavirus. And there's a lot of us in the group that we we really don't know anybody that was actually infected by the virus or came through it or whatever it was. And lo and behold, one of the guys in my group were, were actually had been infected by it. He was an aviator. He uh, was flying people to various hospitals, and um, and he he got infected, and he came through it out on the other side, and and here it was that we were all impacted by the fact that here was somebody we knew that was Im- actually impacted by it. So our tendency then is when we see something that is out of our control, we launch into our default methods in which to manage the helplessness we feel. And probably the first one that we all lapse into, a lot of people do, I don't know if it's all because I I can't poll everybody, but a lot of the ones that we fall into is comparison. And I have heard this more times than I can count over the course of my career as a counselor, but also even now, is that I don't know why I'm complaining because after all, I haven't lost anybody to the coronavirus. I I don't know anybody that's died from the whole thing. So I don't know what I'm complaining about. It's not that big of a deal after all, but I'm mentioning it, but I'm talking about it. And the fact that I'm talking about it actually betrays the fact that it, it's actually a pretty big deal because it's worth my talking about. So our tendency in order to gain some measure of control over something that we feel very helpless about is to compare it to a case that's worse than us. And I, like I said, this is something that I have seen over and over and over again over the course of my career as a counselor and talking to people over four decades one of the first strategies we use is comparison is I don't have it so bad. There are people elsewhere that are dying from it, or there are other people that have way worse than I do. What's the big deal? But like I said, the minute I start talking about it and mentioning it, it is a big deal because it's big enough for me to talk about it. So comparison is one of the first things that is part of our strategies to regain some measure of control over something that we feel very, very much out of our control. The second one is containment. And so we, we contain it. And, and in the, the words and the, the language of grief and loss, we call it denial. And denial isn't, well, this just can't be happening. It's way, way more than that. So we diminish the significance of it. In other words, I don't know what I'm complaining. I mean, that's where the comparison thing comes into play. And and I don't know what I'm complaining about, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's one way to contain the pain is I, I, I diminish the significance of it. And then secondly, I diminish the, the meaning of it to me. So I, that's that one's a little tougher because, I mean, we are bombarded depending on how much time you 
immerse or marinate yourself in the news, we really can't get too far away from the meaning that it could have. And see, there it is again. The scripture points to the fact that that God placed eternity in our hearts. It's something that David wrote in Psalms. So we have the capacity to think of something that hasn't occurred yet. And so the whole idea of how do I contain this thing that I don't know is actually going to happen, but could happen, and I can live there. And one way to, to uh, inoculate myself against what's coming is to predict it's coming and prepare myself for it. And I see that in relationships all the time is, is that I don't invest as much. I, I keep myself back. I kind of pull back my emotional resources and investment because if I pull back on that, then I'm not going to be as hurt as badly than if I did a fully full investment in it. So, there's the comparison piece. I compare it to somebody else who's worse off than me. We never compare it to somebody who's better off than me. So we always compare it to somebody worse off than me. And then secondly, I find a variety of ways to engage in what, in like I said, in the grief and loss world, we call it denial. But it's not just a matter of, no, this isn't true or no, this isn't happening. I, I diminish it its impact on me by changing its significance and changing the meaning that it actually has to me. And comparison is part of that. So there's the comparison piece and then there's the containment piece. The last one is a mixed bag because our tendency then is to either control, find ways to control our environment. Now, if you get anything in the email in email or anything else about work from home and the things that you can do to re regain the level of control that you feel around it you will find it okay whether that's working out from home or changing your environment or uh, changing your work environment so that it's more conducive to productive activity or whatever that might be it, it it's, it's all very much a part of that the thing is, is that when we commit ourselves to controlling our environment, we never bump into what, we're, what we do as Christians, as Christ followers, to trust what God's up to. Now, the minute I say that, we jump into, well, God's got this. He, it's all going to, you know, it's all going to work according to his plan. I got that. That's very clear. Paul made that point in Romans, you know, that, that all things work together for those who love the Lord. I got that. The problem is, is while that is absolutely true, it's a truth that exists in our world. There's also another truth that is part of our internal world that has us unsettled, unsettled. And that's... That's also a part of what drives us to control things. Because the one thing I want to leave you with tonight before I, I sign off is that trust and control cannot coexist. So if I drive toward controlling everything around me, I will never grapple with the degree to which I trust God's heart for me. Not the outcome I want, 
but God's heart for me. And what does that mean? It means about my relationship with him and, and what that looks like. I can tell you, honestly, between you, me, and the hedge post fence, an old Indiana phrase, that, that my relationship with God right now is, is, it is a struggle. I don't know about anybody else, but it is a real challenge to stay connected because my schedule has been absolutely jacked up by I don't have my usual schedule of meeting with God, of, of sitting in his presence to, to review my day with him, to talk about my day with him. I, I'm, it's missing. And when I don't figure out a way to do that, then all that's left for me, because I'm not connected enough to know his heart or remind myself of his heart for me, all that's left for me then is to do everything I can to control my environment so I keep my restlessness, my troubledness, all of that stuff under wraps enough so that it doesn't overwhelm me and overwhelm my day. So there is your 15 minutes of fire hose. I got ramped up enough to, to share that with you. I pray that it uh, speaks to your heart, resonates with you, and you figure out a way to lean in onto, into Abba's heart for you. Love you later. Bye. Until next time. Hey, everyone. Just a quick word at the end of this podcast. If you're, if you have enjoyed it and you're interested in some of the things that we're talking about in this podcast, please uh, visit my website at drmitch.com, m-i-t-s-c-h.com, or check it, check us out on YouTube at Ray Mitch dot, uh, Ray Mitch under my name, uh, or. Uh, no, I don't have any other social media outside of those two things. Um, so, thanks for joining us. I'll see you soon. Or, uh, not see you soon. Uh, we will talk soon.